Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. This is episode 22, and today we're going to be talking about the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. God tests Abraham just as he does all of us at times, and Abraham shows his faith and trust in God all the way through. We'll also talk about the parallel between Jesus' sacrifice for us and God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 13 of the Abraham study. And last week we talked about the birth of Isaac and we compared Isaac and Ishmael to each other and talked about what each one of those sons symbolized. We also talked about Hagar and the difference between making our own decisions and having them forced upon us and what we can do in order to not become permanent victims ourselves. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. Today, I'm going to read this entire passage to you so that you can get the full picture of it, and then we'll go back and take it piece by piece. So let's go ahead and get started. Genesis 22.1 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And then God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. And God said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, To the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand of the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So I don't know how y'all feel about that passage, but it's always been kind of upsetting to me. But as I studied it this time and I presented God with all my questions, I started to understand some things that I never have before. So if you're like me and it did feel a little unsettling to hear this, then hopefully as we continue, you're going to feel better about it as I do. So let's just look at this very first verse. It says that God did this to test Abraham. He wants to see how Abraham's going to react. And it's not because he doesn't know how he's going to react. God does. But he needs Abraham to see the reaction. Abraham needs to grow through this. Listen to this verse, John 15, 1 and 2. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is what he's doing here. He's pruning Abraham. You know, growing and producing godly fruit is sometimes difficult and painful. If you're a tree and you're being pruned and someone is cutting your branches off, then that's painful. But it's necessary. It's necessary for the fruit to multiply and it's necessary for the tree to grow strong. You know, these days we tend to believe that our happiness is of primary concern. But God is always very most concerned about our faith in His kingdom. And that's what He's doing here with Abraham. He's growing his faith. That is of utmost importance to Him. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. So we think it's good to be happy, but God says it is good for us to fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him and serve Him with all our heart and all our soul, and keep His commands. That's what's good for us. Throughout the Bible, God tests His people. He tests them with things like hunger or attacks from other nations just to see if they're going to trust and obey Him. I want you to listen to a couple of examples of that. Exodus 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God only gave them enough for that one day. And if they kept it longer, then it, it mildewed and got bad. And so he wanted to see if they would trust him every day for their food. 
He tested them with hunger to see if they would trust him. Now listen to Judges 2, 20 through 23. It says, Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and hasn't heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did He deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So He's doing this, not driving the nations out before them, to test them, to see if they will walk in the ways of the Lord. It's all a test. And here's why. Because it's easy to trust whenever things go in the way that we planned, right? Or obey whenever everything makes sense. We can do that. That's not hard. But it's much more difficult when we don't understand and when it's not exactly what we want to do. That's when we find out how much trust and faith we really have in God, right? All right, so let's move on and read in verse 2. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you about. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So God tells him to take his only son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Now, we know that Isaac is not actually Abraham's only son, because he also has Ishmael, right? But Ishmael's grown, and he's moved away at the time, so he's his only child. And also, he is the only son of Abraham and Sarah. And he's the one that God has set aside to inherit the promises. And so he's unique. Also, just a little side note about Moriah. This is where Solomon later builds the permanent temple for the Lord. So it becomes a very special place. I want you to notice too that whenever God calls to Abraham, he tells him to go to the place that he's going to show him. This is the same thing he did at the very beginning, right? He said, I want you to leave the land that you've known, your father's land, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. So right from the beginning, he has to step out in faith, go somewhere without any real idea of where he's going or what's happening. Now, I want you to pay attention to every single step of faith that he exhibits on this journey because he starts out with one step and it just builds from there. I want you to look at verse 5. This is really the key verse here that shows what Abraham knows and how he feels about everything from the very beginning. It says, Abraham tells the other men that are with him, stay here with the donkey And the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. He tells them from the very beginning, we're both going to come back. Do you think he was lying, or do you think he believed that? Because God told him to kill his son. And then he tells them, we're both going to come back. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 11. 
This is the faith chapter. Remember, we've been going through this and talking about the faith of several people in the Bible. And in chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So this tells us that Abraham was not lying. He fully believed that both of them would come back because he thought that even if he had to sacrifice Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. That was his belief from the beginning. He was going to obey God because he knew that God was going to bring him back. And the reason he believed this is because of the promise that he had given him that would become through Isaac. Look at verse 18. It says, Isaac, the one that it was said, your seed shall be called. The promise was going to come through Isaac. God had told him several times the promise comes through Isaac. Every time he said, what about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? God said, no, Isaac. Isaac is the one that I had planned all along. He is the unique special son that I had planned for you to have with Sarah and for the promise to go through. And so if he was dead, that could not happen. God had told him that he would make him into a great nation and he would multiply him as many as the stars. And he believed that. Now let's contrast that with Hagar, what we talked about last week, whenever Hagar thought that Ishmael was going to die. And she did not remember that God had told her before that she would make him into a great nation and he would be the father of 12 princes. She forgot that. But Abraham did not. Abraham remembered what God had told him before Isaac was ever even born and what God had told him again whenever he sent Ishmael away. That's an amazing amount of faith, isn't it? Now, I want you to notice something else. Look in verse 2 at what type of offering he is going to be. It says he's going to be a burnt offering. To believe that he would come back to life after being burned takes even a stronger amount of faith. This goes way beyond somebody being wounded or just getting sick and coming back to life, things like that. You know, we could say that possibly doctors can revive people in situations like that. But if someone is burned to death, that's so horrific, and that would definitely be a final death. But Abraham believed that God would raise him even from that type of death. So even though Abraham didn't understand, he knew God had a plan, and he was obedient. That's what we were talking about a while ago, right? About the test, how it's easy to obey whenever we understand, whenever the plan makes sense to us. But when it doesn't, what's that like? Very, very impressive that Abraham was able to do something this difficult when he doesn't understand. I mean, how many things have we rebelled against that are so much lesser than this? So much lesser. When you're being asked to do the very most difficult thing you've ever been asked to do and you don't understand why and none of it makes any sense, that's a pretty hard ask. But Abraham believed and he trusted God. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God had a plan and he was going to obey. So after Abraham told the others that he was with, that him and his son were going to go off for a little while, he took the coal that they would use for the fire and the knife and he gave the wood to his son and they set out. And immediately 
Isaac asks where the lamb is because they took no animal with them to sacrifice. But here, Abraham exhibits his faith to his son. Not only is he showing God that he has faith by telling them that they'll come back, but now he's showing his son that he has faith in God. And he tells him, God himself is going to provide the sacrifice. You see, he's preparing his son even now to trust in God because he knows that there's a difficult thing to trust God for just ahead of them. When we build a relationship with other people, then they trust us, they trust our love, they trust our leading. And whenever we exhibit our faith to those around us, then it grows their faith too. And especially with our children. Whenever we show them how we're trusting in God over and over and over again in their lives, and we invest in them and build a relationship with them, then they will trust us They'll trust our leading, and they'll trust God because they'll see how we've done it. And so that's what happens here. Abraham tells him that God is going to be the one that provides the sacrifice. But then when they get there, when they get to the place, and he binds his son and lays him on the altar, that, that's the part, right? That's the part that's so hard. That's the part that's so hard because Isaac doesn't understand But here's the thing. Abraham has prepared him. This entire time, he prepared him. Abraham had prepared his son to trust his father. And he had also prepared his son to trust his heavenly father. And so when something very, very difficult was asked of Isaac, Isaac was also trusting. You see that? When God asked Abraham to do something that was the most difficult possible thing he could ask, and Abraham trusted God for that and showed that trust to his son, then his son also in turn trusted that. He trusted that there was a reason, that his dad would not do this if there was not a reason, and that his heavenly father would not ask this if there was not a reason. And he was willing. Now look in verse 10 and 11. It says, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And then the angel said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. So the angel waited until the very last minute, right? Why did he do that? He had to see if he was just going through the motions or if he was really going to do this, right? Abraham had to see it. Abraham had to be completely willing to follow through. And then at the very last minute, the angel called from heaven and told him to stop. And notice that the angel didn't even have to come down. He just calls to him from heaven. No need, right? Because they're so close. And then listen to the last part of verse 12. It says, Now I know that you fear God, since you haven't withheld your son, your only son, from me. Again, God knew, right? But now he's proven it. This is a type of knowledge that comes from experience and revelation. It gives proof. That goes way beyond head knowledge. Just being aware that you would do it. Whenever you experience it, whenever you see, oh wow, he was actually going to go through with that. God says, now I know like that, that you fear me. Because you, you were willing to go all the way. And then after that, what happens? God shows him the ram that's caught in the the thicket by his thorns, right? God really did provide the sacrifice. Abraham was correct on that. God showed him the sacrifice that he had for him. 
And then Abraham called this place, the Lord will provide, showing that he believes that God will always provide for him. Now, remember back in the verse that we looked at a while ago in Hebrews where it said Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead, and in a figurative sense, he did. God saved him from death. God is the one that kept him alive. Now, look at the very end. Verse 16, it says, By myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and haven't withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand that's on the seashore. This is what God had already told Abraham before, right? He told him he would multiply them. In Genesis 15, 5, God told him, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. And he's telling him this twice, right? He says, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. When God does this, when he repeats the same thing in a different way by saying as many as the stars and as many as the sand and blessing I will bless and multiplying I will multiply. Whenever he does that, he's explaining how definitive this thing that he's telling us is. In Genesis 41:42, whenever Joseph is explaining Pharaoh's dream to him, he says the dream was repeated twice because the thing is established by God and it's shortly going to come. It's firmly established. And that's what he's telling him here. He says, I already told you this was happening, but because you've done this thing and you haven't withheld your son, then I'm firmly establishing what I already told you was going to happen. Your descendants will be as many as the stars and as the sand, and they will possess the gate of their enemies. And all of the nations on earth will be blessed through them because you obeyed my voice. What a reward. Abraham came through the test stronger and more faithful, and God rewarded him for it. Then it says they both returned and they went back together to Beersheba, and that's where Abraham lived. Remember, Beersheba is the place that he made the covenant with Abimelech, the well of the oath. That's where Abraham lived. Now, we're going to end this by drawing a few parallels between Isaac and Jesus. If you happen to have bought the study, there is a parallel sacrifice chart in there if you'd like to look at it. It's really just a table that lists these things as opposed to being written out in sentence form. So it's, again, not essential, but just a little bit easier to organize in our minds when we see it that way. And so we're just going to go through a few of these. Notice that just as Abraham was asked to offer his one and only son, God also offers his one and only son. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish and have everlasting life. God gave His one and only Son also. And then 1 John 4, 9 tells us this again. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. So not only did God ask Abraham to manifest his faith in him by giving his one and only son, but God manifested his love towards us by giving us his one and only son. God made a demonstration too. This isn't just head knowledge. He acted on it and God went through with it. Abraham didn't even have to go through with it. So both of the fathers, God and Abraham, 
both were willing to offer their sons as a sacrifice. And then also both sons willingly submitted to their own sacrifice because they loved and trusted their fathers. Isaac loved and trusted Abraham enough to willingly submit to him, even unto his own sacrifice. And Jesus himself also does the same thing. He gave himself up willingly for us. Listen to Ephesians 5, 2. It says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He offered himself up for us. He could have stopped it at any time, but he chose not to. Listen to this in John 19. This is Pilate quizzing Jesus. John 19, 5, it says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to him, Behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him. I don't find any fault with him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And so Pilate heard this, and he was more afraid. And he went in and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus wouldn't give him an answer. And then Pilate said, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, You have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus wouldn't answer him. See, Jesus could have gotten out of it because Pilate did not want to do it. But he didn't give any reason because he was willingly submitting to it. He knew that all of Pilate's power had been given to him by God and it could only be taken away by God. He was willing to submit. And then notice that as the ram is a substitute for Isaac, Jesus is our perfect substitute. So Isaac was about to die and God provided a substitute so that he did not have to. And we deserve to die for our sins, but God provided a substitute for all of us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He pays the price that God requires for our sin, once for all, so that we can have eternal life with God. Listen to what it says in 1 John about this. There's a couple of verses. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. So the ram was a substitute for Isaac, but Jesus is a substitute for all of us. And then also in 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love, not because we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So that verse 9 we read before that says that God manifested His love towards us, that He sent His only begotten Son, that we might live through Him. And now we see that He's given as a substitute for us because God loves us that much. Abraham and Isaac were given just about as much understanding as a person can have for God and Jesus and the sacrifice that they both made. And this just shows us again how close the relationship was between Abraham and God. 
that he would really be the only one that could even possibly understand in any sort of way what it was for God. And Isaac is the only one that could understand even a little bit about what Jesus was having to deal with. And this just helps us to see in human terms how difficult it must have been for God to give Jesus up and what a great love he had for us that he would make such a sacrifice And it also helps us to see the agony that Jesus must have gone through that he would willingly give himself over to be killed and how much he must have trusted his father that he would willingly do something like that. Listen to the agony that Jesus went through before his death. Matthew 26, 39, it says, He went a little further and fell on his face, and he prayed and said, O Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, What, could you not just watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And a second time he went away and prayed, O Father, if this cup can't pass from me unless I drink it, then your will be done. So look how agonizing this was for Jesus. He did not want to do it, but he was willing to obey his Father in heaven. And then also notice what Jesus says to the disciples. He says, Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. God needed to see that not only was Abraham's spirit willing, but that his flesh was was strong enough to do it. And Jesus also, right? Jesus also had to be strong in his flesh, and he was. So I hope that by going through this passage, if you were a little bit disturbed by it, you feel better now. This is a very unique thing. God never does again in the Bible. But it was necessary for the growing of Abraham's faith. It was necessary for him to connect with God. It was necessary for us to see and understand Jesus and his sacrifice more fully. So whenever you go through a time of testing, remember that God prunes those that already bear fruit. And sometimes that's painful, but his primary focus is on our growth and his kingdom. And so try to learn whatever it is that the Lord has for you. Persevere, look to Him, and trust and obey. Also, thank God for the sacrifice that He gave us in His one and only Son. And thank Jesus for willingly submitting to that and giving Himself up for all of us, being our substitute. What a wonderful God we serve, that He would do these things for us that He would care so much about spending eternity with us that He would make a way for His perfect Son that deserved none of this to pay the price for us so that we can be with Him forever in heaven. Next week, we're going to talk about Isaac getting a wife and focus on prayer and how this prayer that's offered for Isaac's wife can be an example for us in how we can learn the will of God. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. If you're enjoying these lessons, then please leave me a five-star review and make sure that you leave comments. I'd love to hear your thoughts or answer any questions that you might have or clarify anything that I may have been unclear about. Also, feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. Thanks and have a good week.